app-based workers need a long-term solution that holistically addresses the concerns that they have and addresses their sub-minimum wage. That's what these are. That's what these folks are paid. They're paid sub-minimum wages. There's no other way around it. You are listening to Council Member Lisa Herbold there, the chair of the Public Safety and Human Services Committee for the Seattle City Council. She's talking about what she's calling a long-term solution for app-based workers. It's pay up some new legislation about minimum wage, some other protections in front of the city council this week. How might that affect our local economy? And while we're talking about money, will hiring bonuses really attract more officers to the SPD? Plus, what has Bruce Harrell accomplished as mayor in his first 100 days? Well, we're talking about all that and more this week on Seattle News, Views and Brews, your coffee break political podcast. I'm Brian Callanan. I'm a host on Seattle Channel. The views expressed here are my own, and I'm joined by none other than David Crowen of the Seattle Times. There he is, and David, you are you're living up to your billing as a transportation <laughs> reporter because now you're in the car, you're all over the place, man. I hope you're getting through traffic, okay? Yeah, yeah, and I'm, uh, you know, as a disclaimer, I'm not driving while I do this. Very important. He's in the passenger seat. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Good, good. All right. Stay safe, stay safe, and stay with me, buddy. We'll keep on rolling here. Thank you always, uh, David, for joining me. Really appreciate it, man. And thanks to everybody listening. If you do listen, please do take the next step. Become a patron. Support Seattle News Views of Brews on Patreon. At the $10 level, you can get your very own and your highly sought-after Seattle News Views of Brews coffee mug. We will also feature your mug on the program. A mugshot of the week. And this week, in mid-April, here it goes to Ellen, who sends in this beautiful shot of a steaming cup of something on on top of her morning paper there. Ellen, thank you for sending in your support. Thank you for sending in this photo too. So please, if you're listening, you want to be cool like Ellen, support this podcast on Patreon. We're on Converge Media 2. The video version of this podcast airs on Converge Wednesday nights at 7. All right, let's get rolling with right here, right now. Well, we are delving into the city council's many agendas this week. A few items on the Public Safety and Human Services Committee are setting up some major policy decisions for the council ahead. One of them is this pay-up program that we heard Councilmember Herbold talking about at the top of our show, requiring a minimum wage, some other protections like mandatory bathroom breaks, a few other things for app-based workers in Seattle. So just an overview of this to start off, David. I thought it was very interesting in the press conference about this last week that Andrew Lewis, who is the council member who's co-sponsoring this with Herbold, he framed this as, this is the future of work. We have more than 40,000 people in Seattle who are app-based workers, but because they are independent contractors, they don't get the same protections that employees take for granted, like minimum wage. So, David, council members Lewis and Herbold say the pressure of this growing app-based economy means the city really has to act for these workers who deliver food or groceries out there. How do you look at the framing of that from their perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a framing that um, you we're hearing across the country. Um, mm. You know, I th- you know, especially during the pandemic, I think um, the the fact that you know when there was the downturn and a lot of layoffs. Um, across industries, and you know, it really landed hard on app-based workers. A, a lot of, um, you know, the federal, a lot of guidelines changed to give those app-based workers access to unemployment. You know, in Washington and and things like that. And I think um, that period really drove home the fact that these workers are kind of living without a safety net. That there's not a lot underneath them. Um, mm-hmm. And then simultaneously, I think it sort of showed, uh, you know. Um, laid a foundation for what it might look like to kind of fold app-based workers into kind of a more, you know, a relationship that looks a little bit more like an employer-employee relationship, or at least kind of 
some of the state benefits that that employees are guaranteed. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a, it's a conversation we're seeing statewide or you know, countrywide. Um, yeah. The, the the question, and, and we heard this come up in the, at the state level with the Uber right. Lyft legislation, is um, it, are, are are local jurisdictions or state government are they going to fight for just kind of improving the conditions as is, but basically keeping the status quo of independent contractor in place, or mm-hmm. are we going to see a sort of larger shift towards? making these workers employees um, right so far the latter has not gotten off the ground um mm-hmm. the, it hasn't worked in um, california you know at the state level right that the uber lyft legislation kind of defines them as independent contractors and right. so um you know i think i think this is a kind of a, a logical step in the priorities that the seattle city council has, has made clear that they, yeah, they and- want to address Agreed. And I, I, I just wanted to make clear here, folks, that this legislation we're talking about here, pay up, does not cover Uber and Lyft drivers specifically. The transportation network companies, taxi drivers, they're not part of this. As David was right. alluding to, the city has already established a minimum wage set up for TNCs. And the state just passed this measure this past session, guaranteeing a minimum wage for drivers in cities outside of Seattle, though that wage is a little bit lower. I'm just looking at pay up here, David, with this. Plenty of critical comments about this plan already, as you might expect from DoorDash, Drive Forward Washington, which is an advocacy group that gets funding from Uber. Though both of these, as I understand it from Councilmember Herbold's office, have been part of this discussion with the city. They've been talking about this for the past 12 months plus. I'm just trying to think about these big tech companies, David, who disrupt so many different things. Uh, where do you see them pushing back? Or what's the next shoe to drop from companies like Uber Eats or DoorDash? Do they try to challenge the city legislation somehow? Or what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I th- I, all I can kind of go off is what, you know, the precedent that Uber and Lyft have set, which is mm-hmm. they've basically um, gotten to a point where they are okay with setting minimum wages. They are okay with... Um, certain, you know, maybe a little more access to unemployment insurance or um, L&I, you know, uh, again, they're okay with kind of expanding um, guaranteed benefits to people, but they are not okay with defining uh, employers, I mean, the, the drivers as employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I expect, and, and I think part of that is, you know, I'm sure they would love it to just go unregulated in perpetuity, yeah. but they, sure. they, I think recognize that that is not going to happen, that there is, there are enough efforts across the country trying to regulate app-based companies that I think at least with Uber and Lyft, they've kind of gotten to this point where here's what we can live with and here's what we can't live with. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I imagine that we would see something kind of similar with, with these other efforts as, as it kind of expands beyond Uber and Lyft is mm-hmm. we'll see these companies um, kind of draw really bright red lines and sort of be willing to work with local governments on, a, on certain things. But then, mm-hmm. you know, the second that red line is perceived as crossed, they're going to dump hundreds of millions of dollars in oh, yeah. trying to defeat it. And that's what Uber and Lyft have done so far. Right, right. I, it could be very interesting. This could be the type of situation where the city passes something and then indeed it does head up to the state level and there's another piece of legislation like we saw last year. But this is going to be very interesting. I know that Councilmember Herbold is going to have this in committee for a few different weeks, hoping to get it in front of the full council in May. So we'll keep an eye on that one for sure. I wanted to talk about another thing that's happening in the Public Safety and Human, excuse me, Human Services Committee this week. Hiring bonuses here. Talking about this, not just for Seattle Police, as we've discussed over the past couple of weeks, David, but for many other critical positions for the city. Electrical workers, carpenters, IT programmers. Again, Councilmember Herbold talking about this, pushing for this, making the point that other departments at the city level have been losing people too, not just the SPD. 
And David, I thought this was interesting. The report that I showed or that I saw from the city seemed to show that these hiring bonuses, which were in place for Seattle police during the end of last year, didn't have much of an effect in terms of increasing numbers. They did help out a little bit, it sounds like, with the new CSCC, the Community Safety and Communication Center, which takes in 911 calls. But overall, in the short term, what's your take on this idea that maybe this hiring bonus plan wasn't doing really what it was intended to, for the SPD at least? I think my take is that almost every, like a lot of large departments are doing these hiring bonuses. Mm -hmm. So it's become a bit of an arms race. And so maybe early on when they were novel and new, um, they, they may have had more of an effect at at this point, you know, it seems like, um, most, you know, maybe the small departments don't have them, but most kind of large ish departments seem to be offering some kind of signing bonus. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they're just like not enough people wanting to do these jobs. I mean, everyone is commute is competing for, fairly small number of officers you know i think um you know dating back for almost 10 years at this point uh, we've been hearing that uh, that there has been less inflow into academies for police departments and i I think that the pandemic probably accelerated that Mm -hmm. um you know there was a lot clearly a lot of burnout um at least in the seattle police department around the protests during 2020 Mm -hmm. um you know it's hard to dismiss that there does appear to be kind of just a cultural divide between um, a lot of officers within the police department and Mm -hmm. say the Seattle city council. Um, Right. And, and, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of really, I I think also, you know, there's a lot of really tough issues in Seattle that I I think historically are that police are dealing with that. I think historically folks have not really viewed as the primary job of police, which is, Mm. you know, I think if you look at, the number of office, you know, number of interactions that involve people experiencing homelessness or mental sure. illness or drug right. addiction. I mean, these are right. really hairy, thorny issues that, um, at best, police officers can maybe sort of mitigate in the short term, but you know, really right. don't have a lot of power to kind of fix these issues. And so, I think, yeah. um, you know, the reality is the the police work that Seattle officers might be doing right now is not, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it is not, you know, put, putting bad guys in jails or whatever. Right? Yeah, this job is changing. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 addressing um, a lot of failings in the social system and being kind of the bottom rung of that. Yeah, yeah. They're the front line of defense in so many different ways. That's a that's a good point. And I just to wrap up this conversation, David. I think it's interesting too because this same committee will be hearing from Chief, interim Chief Diaz this week, talking about how he spends overtime. He's actually talking about some of the interaction that the SPD has with different federal agencies and the different overtime system they use for that, how they're reimbursed by the feds and things of this nature. But I think this is, which is usually kind of a check done kind of a measure. This is going to be a big concern here for the SPD this week because the SPD and Councilmember Nelson has been bringing this up too. Okay. If we have some, some dollars left over at the end of the year or whatever else for all this allotted allotment that we've had for new officers or overtime or whatever else, we're going to try to put that money into a hiring bonus plan. And I think I don't know. This is one of those examinations, again, of the police budget that is happening very early in the session. But I just get the feeling that these questions around the police uh, accountability when it comes to how they're doling out overtime, that's a big, big concern here. And just coming around with this issue, how officers spend their budget, I think, is the mega issue here that I'm not sure. This is going to be a difficult one for uh, Interim Chief Diaz to navigate here in this early part of the year and definitely later on when he's going to be asking for overtime dollars again. Yeah, totally. And and it'll be kind of interesting, actually, if um, 
some of you know because a lot of the, the early goals surrounding the protests were you know mm. finding non-law enforcement people you know what what jobs do police not need to be doing yes yes and, yes and right how, mm-hmm. and how can we bring in um you know non-armed people to do some mm-hmm. of these jobs that police are currently doing and right that was seen as sort of an you know in some ways kind of an advocacy reform effort but it'll be interesting to see if that starts to come about not so much out of a uh, place of motivation you know for to reform but out of necessity you know if there are not mm. enough officers uh to to cover what the police department has typically covered it would be interesting to see if maybe some of these things that officers used to do will start kind of moving towards um you know other you know maybe traffic enforcement uh will become less of a priority and you know we've seen that across the state yeah. the traffic enforcement is down and so maybe maybe you bring on non-armed people to do some traffic related stuff or mm-hmm. you know what so suddenly that the conversation that what I think was being pushed by protesters in 2020 starts to sound a little more practical when you just don't have enough officers to do everything. Yeah, well, great point there. We're going to see how that one plays out. But again, a discussion about overtime in front of the city council this week for the SPD and a whole lot more happening there. So, David, thanks for the back and forth. All right. So up next, we just passed day 100 of the Bruce Harrell administration. What has been accomplished and what campaign promises have not yet been fulfilled? We're going to break it down on now hear this. Well, this week, Mayor Bruce Harrell passes the 100-day threshold of his time in office, and it's been busy. So what has he accomplished? Where has he fallen short? I'm going to play for you a clip from the debate I moderated between Bruce Harrell and Lorena Gonzalez when they were both still candidates last September on Seattle Channel. I asked him the question about why he was running, and I'd like you to listen to the first thing he mentions here. Quite candidly, to solve homelessness is one of my first charges then I think that the city is sort of starving for that kind of effective leadership coming uh, from City Hall. And I say City Hall not to point fingers at the mayor, the city council, the city attorney, that I think that the city wants, the people want to see a a well-functioning machine. And I think the kind of decisive and strong and effective leadership from the mayor's office will sort of lead the way. So, David, I know it takes longer than 100 days. It's a pretty arbitrary length of time that a lot of newspapers and TV stations have looked at. But Mayor Harrell was talking about solving homelessness in that soundbite. Are we getting there is my big question, because I think about your colleague, Sarah Grace Taylor at The Seattle Times. She contrasted Harrell's leadership with former Mayor Durkins, who called herself the impatient mayor when she took office here. How would you characterize Mayor Harrell's approach to the job? Has he been impatient, too patient, especially when it comes to responding to homelessness? Yeah. So, I mean, from from the outside, as somebody who's not covering City Hall, you know, I, I, I did, you know, I've kind of had this feeling that we're not seeing, you know, necessarily a huge flurry of activity early on. You know, I mean, it's not like we're seeing major promises of huge amounts of dollars or something. Mm-hmm. And But, you know, it was kind of felt that way from a from the outside and I wasn't sure maybe I was missing something, but I thought it was interesting in Sarah Grace's piece, um, how, how he kind of, he kind of actually owned up to that. Um, Mm. you know, he said, uh, you know, I've really been spending my first hundred days kind of assessing, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to figure out the hand I've been dealt. He keeps talking, you know, for everything he said in the campaign about not pointing fingers, he seems to be talking about the hand he's been dealt quite a bit. Sure. Um, Sure. Even if he's not naming specific people, but, uh, you know, I thought that was pretty fascinating that he is is owning up to the fact that that he is um, still kind of setting the table in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. you know, as Sarah Grace pointed out, even if you just look at staffing in the city, you know, there's still a huge number of interim directors. Um, yep. We we only heard I think last week the the search committee to find a new 
SDOT director. So it, you know, yeah. it doesn't, you know, again, I, I, it's hard to get context on these things because you, these, they only happen every four years. So you kind of forget mm-hmm. a little bit how it was four years ago, but it, um, it, it is interesting that we are not seeing, I think the kind of, um, cyclone of activity that you might at least expect, um, mm-hmm. from an early, an early mayor, which, you know, isn't really a value judgment. I mean, maybe that's what no. it takes is he's, maybe he's sort of carefully plotting his course or what have you, yeah. but, um, yeah, I, I don't know that he is coming across as the as the impatient mayor, as as yep. Jenny Durkin liked to call herself. Right, and I think about that too. I guess he has been uh, active in some ways, and that the amount of sweeps that the city has uh, has done over the past couple of months when he's been in office that's definitely increased about thirty of them in the first hundred days, which Sarah Grace pointed out as well. And I think looking at those homeless numbers, he was promising a lot of things on the campaign trail, like. The first 1,000 units uh, of, of housing would be available within the first six months of his tenure there, things of this nature. So he's talking about 2,000 units uh, that would be built over the course of this year here. So I think he's trying to put some numbers together with housing specifically that are going to be really interesting to look at over the next couple months and year. And how he comes through on those promises, I think, is a big, big, big part of how his campaign, not his campaign or just his mayorship, will be measured. Absolutely. Um, and that number 1,000, the mayor's candidates for mayor love that number 1,000. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jenny Durkin said the same. I think, I think Ed Murray said a thousand. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, I remember talking to Sally Bagshaw, she said a thousand and you know, so far it, nobody has sort of hit that number in the, in the way that they have promised. And so, um, you know, maybe Bruce Harrell will be the first, first one. And as long as I've been a reporter to deliver on the promise to build a thousand homes within X amount of time. But, mm-hmm. um, I, I, again, I'm not on the homelessness beat. I'm not on the city hall right. beat. So I, I right. haven't been like tallying how many homes have been built, but I haven't seen or necessarily heard of the kind of levels that you would expect if you were trying to get to a thousand in six months. Right. Right. And it sounds like even talking with Sarah Grace, he wasn't entirely uh, clear that uh, where that thousand would be accounted for either. So a lot, right. a lot of different reckoning happening there. And I guess just to wrap up this discussion, David, uh, expectations for the next 100 days, I guess, looking at a new interim chief of police uh, and trying to figure out a permanent uh, replacement there, looking at a new SDOC director and kind of working through there. There's some big decisions that are coming up in the next uh, three months if you want to look out that far again. Yeah, and, and it's hard to, you know, I, I think when you talk to staff in these departments, mm. um, it, it's really hard to commit to, to a, a vision, I suppose, if you mm. want to get a little cliche about it, which is when, when, when they don't know who their next box is, is going to be. Um, right. And so it's not, it's not a sexy thing, but it, I, I do think at least... To, to kind of win the buy-in of staff, it is genuinely helpful for them to know who their boss is going to be for at least the next four years or, you know, somewhere mm-hmm. close to that. Um, and and I, I can't remember the exact tally. I think last time I checked, it was like 15 departments had interim directors. So it's, you know, yeah. in addition to police and, and transportation, which are, are probably big. the big ones yep. at this point, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of other departments that people don't think about as much that, that have these. So the interim directors. So, you know, I mean, I think... Um, the, the mayor, uh, the mayor can be a visionary on the one hand, but at, on the other hand, their job is to be the chief bureaucrat, which is mm-hmm. and to make sure the city actually runs. And so, yeah, I would think that the next six months, or the next hundred days, rather, um, Mayor Harrell would would be putting a lot of effort into filling those jobs and and kind of putting together his his cabinet because he doesn't really have a cabinet yet. He has right um, interim directors, and and that you know for as qualified as 
and skilled as they may be, it's not the same sure. thing as having a permanent appointed director. Very true. Very true. Some big choices ahead there. Well, I wanted to uh, catch our listeners up on another topic here, David, and get your input on it. Because uh, this week, well, at the county level, the three candidates for King County Sheriff, uh, who will be selected by the King County Executive, not voted in by the people, we're going to hear a lot more about them in local media this week. Uh, they were introduced by the county executive last week. You will remember, folks, we voted in King County in 2020 to make this change so that this is an appointed position. So the three candidates are Patty Cole Tyndall. She's now serving as interim sheriff. You have Charles Kimball. He's a police chief from Killeen, Texas. And Reginald Mormon, a major in the Atlanta Police Department. All people of color here. And David, it was interesting to me to see that Patty Tyndall Cole, who, when she was named interim sheriff, said she was not going for the permanent job. Now, apparently she is. Apparently Dow Constantine is welcoming that. It's a little bit of a twist to this runoff that's ahead. Yeah, that's, that's, that is interesting. I don't, you know, obviously I don't know the kind of ins and outs of what's going on there, but it does, you know, I mean, we've seen this with past police chief searches that they kind of like to have this question before, to to decide between, do do you want an insider? Do you want somebody Mm -hmm. who knows the department, who has maybe earned the trust of the people that um, would be working for them, Mm kind of knows the ropes, or do you want kind of an outsider to come in and shake up the department and um, you know, you'd, you'd have to think that Dow Constantine and, and the King County Council would want at, at least to have the choice. Um, yeah. And if not Patty Coltindle, then then who really? So, yeah. um, and then you know, some you know, folks, people say lots of times, not interested in a permanent job. But then you know, of mm. course, in in the same way that you know, when you ask a governor or whatever whether they're running for president, they yes. of course mm-hmm. dem- demure and then, <laughs> but then all of a sudden. But you, it, it's easy to say I'm not interested, and then later say, "Oh well, duty mm-hmm. called, and you know right. I, need, I right. want to be of service or whatever." So, sure. um, wouldn't read too much into the early statements about not being interested. But yeah, yeah. Even Tom, you know, even Tom Brady said he was going to retire. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. Exactly. But right. you know, you settle in, and, and maybe you think, "Well, hey, maybe I'm maybe I'm not so bad at this, and mm-hmm. I can see myself <laughs> doing this for a few years." And and right. oh, by the way, the pay is pretty good too. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I just, I just look at this. It's interesting to me to think about the fact that David, two of the top cops, if you will, in our region are going to be. Uh, I guess maybe not entirely new to the job, but they're going to be new as chiefs or new as sheriff in that role. When you think about interim chief Adrian Diaz, when you think about the interim role that that Patty Tyndall Cole has on her, uh, looking at that, I I don't know if that means instability, but it certainly means a new chapter for the Seattle Police Department and the uh, King County Sheriff's Department, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I guess it depends on who gets it. I mean, if if Adrian Diaz becomes the permanent chief, then he'll have had the job for... What it's going to be? Yeah, a couple uh, years now, right? Two thousand twenty-ish. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, it's he he's got his feet wet a little bit, and and Patty Coltindle has been in the King County Sheriff's Office forever. So I guess yeah. it depends on which direction they go. Um, yeah. yeah, but you know, it, it, um, the, at least with the Seattle Police Department, it's it's um, become a very as we just talked about. You know, it's become kind of a politicized role. So yeah, true. Uh, on the one hand, it's sort of a question of who they can who they could get other than the yeah. DS. The, the, the yeah. King County Sheriff's Office, which is historically somehow managed to always become the less the center of attention than the Seattle mm-hmm. Police Department. The, mm-hmm. It's always been the quieter department, not, yeah. not necessarily earned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, right. they've had their fair share of issues, but sure, for sure. whatever reason, it just has managed to kind of fly under the radar a little bit. It's not quite as yeah. big, I guess. So, right. you know, maybe the Sheriff's Office has a little more luck in attracting, you know, I don't know a ton about these candidates, but, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, they seem qualified. And I, I think... Uh, I think for a lot of a lot of kind of leadership interested police officers, 
running the King County Sheriff's Office is um, seems like probably a pretty good deal because you're in Seattle, but you don't have mm-hmm. quite the attention of uh, maybe the Seattle Police Department. Right, right. Being appointed by a county executive is definitely a new twist for that job. But right. thank you for breaking that down there, David. So Executive Constantine hopes to make a choice on this by early May. It has to be approved, uh, approved by the King County Council. Then keep an eye out for two public forums, April 18th and the 21st, where you're going to hear from all three candidates. All right, well, up next, David's serving up some good news for people who like to enjoy a beer, maybe some popcorn on that ferry ride home. Ahoy there! It's a report from the galleys ahead on Transportation Talk. Well, David, at long last, following up on a story you mentioned a couple weeks ago, it looks like food service is slowly but surely returning to the state ferry system. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, this is far from the most important thing happening in the world, but, <laughs> and, but yet. It is, and yet it feels sometimes like the most important thing in the world. I mean, it, yeah. the, 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 of course, the galley and the ferry shut down around the pandemic. Mm-hmm. They haven't returned, uh, but um, they seem they're going to be returning as early as this week, which wow. is, um, you know, I think I think there's something to, you, you know, I mean, the, the for me, as somebody who grew up on Bainbridge Island, the the galley kind of represents it really represents normalcy in a lot lot of ways i'm going to get kind of deeper than i probably should on this which is yep you know you you go to work you commute into work and then you get on the ferry and you sit down and you drink a beer and you kind of relax from the end of the day and so i think kind of bringing that back implies some sense of kind of actually getting back to the way things used to be Hmm. that said you know it's going to be hard to forget the fact that your ferry is probably 35 minutes late and there's only (laughs) one of them and uh, at least on the Seattle Bainbridge route, only one of the two boats is going to actually have a galley, so you you might get unlucky anyway. A mm. um, lot of lot of asterisks to this, but yes, um, yes. you know, it, I I it is my favorite place in the world. I think to sit and drink a beer because you mm-hmm. just sit there and you've got thirty five minutes. It's the perfect amount of time, and you look out the window, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's great. So it, it, it is it is a, a calming and relaxing thing. I've been there myself, man. I. And I appreciate you saying that. In terms of getting back to normal, I wanted to make sure we wrapped up with this whole wonderful news that baseball season has begun. And mm. with it, the Mariners, a fairly successful start with the uh, weekend in Minnesota, weekend plus. We got a game today as well here, so we got to keep an eye on that. A couple of nice wins here, but very close in this opening series of the season. But it looks like getting back to normal. We're talking about some cardiac kids yet again here on pace to win a lot of games, but they're going to be really, really close this whole run differential thing is so fascinating to watch here the mariners are agonizing sometimes to watch in late innings yeah i I did i mean obviously uh talking about what they're on pace to do is a joke at at this point in the season yes yes you know they they won their first two games by one run and then lost their third game by six runs or four runs or i think it was um i think it was six runs which is like classic so they they're two and one which is great and but they're at a negative four run differential so uh kind of picking up where they left off yeah yeah winning 100 games and and not having the run support to do it we'll yeah. see how it goes and i can't wait to hit a game with you man it's going to happen sometime some way and as always i appreciate you joining me sir thanks thank you cool cool all right well thanks everybody who's listening out there at seattle news views and brews where you can always find out what's brewing in local politics this podcast is available on all major platforms and once again if you are a listener please do support the show on patreon it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Much thanks also for watching us on Converge Media as well. We will see you next time. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Calaman Media Services. Copyright 2022.